love you, Lord, which both of them should be on the screen soon. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken, and great are you, Lord, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise Pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. You give life, you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. <clears throat> and all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. And all the earth will shout your praise. Our hearts will cry. These bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise to you only. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. I love you, Lord. 
Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. So rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your I don't know if that went out over live stream or not, but we something going on in. We'll see. Uh, If y'all are watching on live, Okay, now, I, I love technology, but sometimes it just makes my hair fall out. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Uh, you know, the last one to use that was Michael Bragg. So what did Michael Bragg do to it is now my question that I'm going to have for him. Yeah, but he, yeah, I, I'm going to have to talk to Michael Bragg. I, I think he set, I think he set me up. 
I, I really think that he did. Before we get started, uh, thank you also for the anniversary card. Uh, Dee won't know if we got it. I said, yeah, yesterday. She said, yesterday. I'm like, we had our mail on hold while we were out of town. She, she thought the mail service had gone bad, Nikki. But uh, thank you so much for, for that. We love reading over it and seeing all the names on it. And uh, it uh, was special for us to get. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 11 through verse 13. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. As you read scripture, just casually or even as you study scripture, there are always some questions you need to ask about that scripture. And I won't go into all of those questions, but I want to mention two questions this morning That should always be asked as you're reading. The first question is this. Who is being spoken to? All scripture has been written specifically to a group of people, to an individual. It is for a specific time, location, and place. And we need to ask, who is being spoken to? Is this scripture being, was it written to the Jews? Was it written to the Gentiles? Was it written for the saved, for the lost? Was it written for the church or the unchurched? Now, now I understand that no matter who it's written to specifically, the Holy Spirit can use it for all of us generally. But once we understand the, the audience of who it has been written to, it helps us to better understand what it means for us in our life. So the first question is, who is being spoken to? Second question is, what is the subject matter? All Scripture has a subject matter. And we have to determine what that subject matter is. Is the scripture being written about salvation? Is it written about service? Is it written about faithfulness? Is it written about tithing? Is it about heaven? Is it about hell? What is the subject matter that is being talked about and dealt with as you read this scripture? Well, in our verses today, we can find the answers to these two questions in verses 1 through 10 preceding this. In verses 1 through 10, we find the answer to the who question. And the who are Christians. Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God to believers. He is writing to those who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior. And not just for those who are living during his day, but also to believers of all ages. It even speaks to us today. He is writing to the Christians. Well, what is the subject matter? What is he writing about? He's writing about sin in the life of the believer. Even first century Christians dealt with sin even after they were saved. I I wish I could say today that from the moment of salvation, I've never sinned again. But I'd be lying. You'd like to say that from the moment of salvation, you've never sinned again, but you also would be lying. We're all sinners. We're, we're born sinners. Even when we're saved, we're yet sinners. And so Paul is dealing with this, the sin and the life of the believer. Not just the believers that he could see then, 
but believers even including us today. Well, with that background, I, I believe that I can safely say today that many Christians are living defeated lives because they have allowed sin to break them down under its weight. Believers, not the lost, but believers. We, we know that even as Christians that we still sin. And there are those who have been so broken down by sin in their lives that they have minimal joy and peace. That there are those who have become to believe that life is just hard and cold and, and there's no great future and they are hurting and, and they're just, that, that they're not really good to be around. They're, they're miserable people. You won't find anyone more miserable than that believer who has allowed sin to come into his or her life and that sin has so consumed them that they are living in sin. They are always miserable people. And I dare say that for these people, it's happened because they have no power over sin. That they don't understand that we can have power over sin. And so that's what I want to try to help us understand today, that, that we can have power over sin. We do not have to let sin intrude upon us and take control of us. We, we can learn how to deal with that sin so that we have power over that sin. Now understand, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. There are those who teach that once you're saved, you will never sin again. Well, I've not met those people yet who think that. Well, I did meet one woman one Sunday morning after a service that basically told me that from the time she got saved, she had not sinned anymore since then. To which I wanted to say, well, you've just sinned because you just lied to me. But I stayed sweet and kind and gracious. And, and I didn't say what was on my mind as much as I wanted to. And uh, we... we we have to understand that we just don't get to sinless perfection, not in this life. But what power over sin is about is the fact that we don't have to commit every sin that we commit. Now, I'm never going to have sinless perfection in this life, but I don't have to commit every sin that I do commit. Do, do you follow me? Do you understand my reasoning here? That we do have power, we do have control over what we do, what we say, what we think, where we go, what we listen to. Uh, every sin that, that we commit, we, we have an opportunity to say no to that sin before we commit that sin. We commit that sin when we don't say no, when we don't have power over that fault, over that, uh, that, that inclination. That's when we commit that sin. So I, I want us to understand this morning that we actually do have power over sin. Now, for that to, to happen, there are two conditions that we need to meet. The first condition is in verse 11. And that first condition is this. There must be an understanding. There, there must be an understanding of sin. Now, this is the twofold understanding. Brian, if you back up one or two, back, 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 up, go forward one. There you go. There must be an understanding. For, for us to be able to have power over sin, then we have to have an understanding, number one, of our spiritual death. In verse 11, the first part of it, 
It says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin. This is a basic, fundamental teaching about salvation. When we are saved, we, we are to understand that we are dying to an old lifestyle. As a believer, the lifestyle that I lived before I became a believer, that should no longer be a part of me. I, I should be way past that old lifestyle. I also should be past self-will. Uh, self-will is when we decide what we're going to do. Self-will is when we make the decision that I'm going to live a certain way. I'm going to go to a certain place. I'm going to do a certain thing. When we get saved, then that spiritual death comes in to take away the old lifestyle, to take away the old self-will, and take away the old attitude. Salvation should kill that old, mean, deceitful, ugly attitude that so many people have before they're saved. That <clears throat> There are people who will say, well, that's just the way I'm made. No. No, that's not an excuse. When we get saved, we have the power and the ability within us to overcome that, that awful temper, to overcome that awful jealousy, to overcome that, that awful inclination to, to do whatever. Uh, we, we have to understand that it's salvation, that there's a spiritual death that takes place, the death of the old man, the death of the old self, the death of the old way, all of that is buried and, and dead. And I'm not saying it doesn't rear its head occasionally, but for the most part, it's dead. And so we have to understand that. We, we have to come to grips with that, but not just of our spiritual death, but of our spiritual birth. We don't just die to be dying spiritually. We die so that we can be reborn spiritually. Look again in verse 11. <coughs> So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and what? And alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have to understand that at the moment of salvation, we die to the old self, but we are born to a new self. In John 3, 3, Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We must have this new birth. The new birth will bring about a, a new lifestyle. It will bring about a, a new way of, of understanding our will versus God's will. It, it will bring about a new attitude. Sal salvation can make the sky bluer, the grass greener, the birds sound better. Salvation can make the, the, the nighttime sky more glorious. Salvation changes everything about our attitude. All because there's been this spiritual birth that has taken place. And Paul is trying to, to get the, the people of Rome to understand this. He's trying to get the believers of his day to understand that at salvation there's a death, but there's also a birth. And it's because of this death and this birth that we can then have power over sin. There, there's a second condition that we need to meet to have power over sin. Not, not just an understanding, but there must be a decision. Uh, we, we all make decisions every day, don't we? We make decisions about what time we're getting up. We make decisions what time we're leaving. We make decisions about what we're eating. We make decisions about what we're wearing. We, we make decisions about how we're going to spend our money. We, we make decisions about everything. Well, 
to have power over sin, there also must be some decisions made. And again, it's a twofold decision that we have to make concerning <coughs> sin. Excuse me. That number one, concerning sin, we have to make this decision that gets the influence of sin over the body. Look in verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign, rule in your mortal body. But Paul is saying that sin is not to be the king of us. Sin is not to rule us. Sin is not supposed to be what makes us do or don't do. He is making it very clear that that sin should have no influence over the body. And, and, and here he's thinking, I, I believe he, he's talking more about the mind and the spirit than he is the physical. That we cannot let sin rule our mind. We cannot let sin rule our spirit. We, we cannot let sin be be on the throne of our life that controls what we think and what we do. But concerning sin against the influence over the body, but also then against this infection of the members of the body in verse 13. Look in verse 13, it says, Do not present your members, the members of your body. Do not present them to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. I I believe here he's talking about our eyes. He's talking about our ears, our hands, our tongue, our feet. I believe previously he was talking about our mind. We cannot let sin rule and reign in our mind, our heart, our spirit. But then he goes on and gets real practical. And he's saying we can't let sin infect the members of our body. What what do we use our eyes to look upon? What do we use our ears to listen to? What do we do with our hands? How how do we speak with our tongue? Where does our feet carry us to? He's getting very practical and down to earth here that... That if we're going to have power over sin, <clears throat> we must understand that sin can infect all of the parts of our body. Not just our mind, but the parts of our body. Because once it's in our mind, if we don't control it there, if we don't have power over that sin that's in our mind, then it will seep into the hands and seep into the ears and seep into the tongue. And, and it will become a part of every part of our body. There must be a decision concerning sin, but there also must be a decision concerning service. Look in verse 13, the last part of it. And your members to God is instruments for righteousness. Paul is saying that we must make a decision concerning service. And that service is this. Number one is serving Christ. And number two, serving His church. The more we serve Christ, the less control sin has over us. The more we serve Christ, the less sin will take a hold of our mind and our spirit and our heart. The more we serve Christ, the less our hands and our feet and our ears and our tongue, the less they become involved in sinful activities. And I believe the more that we serve Christ, the more that we want to serve the local church. I believe serving Christ will lead every believer to use their gifts and their talents to serve the local church in the way that God has designed them to to be used. 
God has not called everyone to be a preacher. God has not called everyone to be a teacher. God has not called everyone to be a singer. God has not called everyone to be a musician. But God has called everyone to do something. And I can never tell you what your something is. But I believe that when we make a decision concerning service, that we're going to serve Christ first and foremost, but then we will also serve that local church in ways that God has designed us to be used. In my years of, uh, of living, from the moment of salvation as a young boy, God has used me in so, so many different ways through, through all of these years. Uh, gr- growing up as a, a young adult, I, I worked in vacation Bible school. Uh, I, I sang some in, in a youth group. Now, that was not very good, but I did. You know, uh, I, I was church training director. Uh, then I, I served as a deacon. I served as a teacher. Uh, I, I did offerings. I mean, you, you name it, and, and I did it. I taught RA class. It, there was always something for service in that local church that God made it possible for me to do. I didn't have to do what others were doing. All I had to do was what God wanted me to do. Then, of course, the day came that God said, this is what I want you to do, that I had to come to grips with that as far as the call to preach and the call to ministry. But but it began by serving Christ, and then by serving Christ, serving in the local church, and then God led me to what His ultimate plan and will was for my life. If we're going to have power over sin, we, we have to decide that we're going to do service. The more we're serving Christ, the more we're serving Christ's local church, the less time and the less room in the brain there is for sinful thoughts to come in. Now, I'm not saying they won't still try to get in. Uh, I mean, I'm as human as y'all are, and I'll have thoughts that will pop up, and I'm like, well, where did that come from? I, I don't need that thought. I don't want that thought. Get rid of that thought. Well... You know, the easiest way I can get rid of that thought is, number one, by praying. Number two, it would be by reading Scripture. Number three, by reading and devotion. But it's the decision that I have to make. And through all of that is I'm going to serve Christ and I'm going to serve the local church. Now, since 1985, God has allowed me to serve the local church as preacher, pastor, director of missions, youth pastor, I don't know how God wants to use you to serve in the local church, but God wants to use everyone to serve in the local church. Somehow, some way. I'm talking about power over sin. We do not have to let sin consume us. We're sinners, as I've already said, and we will sin, but we don't have to commit every sin that we commit. If we will learn to exercise power over sin. Science has proven that the human body is better able to fight off infections and diseases when it is in good condition. Now that good condition, part of it, comes from physical activity. 
It may be running, it may be walking, it may be lifting weights, it may be swimming, it may be working in the yard, working in the garden, but something physical, something that makes you move, gets you out of your chair, gets you active. I mean, we were designed to be active. And the more active we are, the better our immune system is. The more we do physically, the more likely we are to be healthy and even to fight those diseases that do come our way. So we have to be active if we want to have the best body possible to fight off these infections and diseases. Well, in like manner, For us to be able to have power over sin, we have to daily exercise the understanding of our spiritual death and of our spiritual birth. We must daily make a decision concerning sin, that we're not going to let it influence our mind and work its way out into the members of our body, and that we're going to be serving Christ and the local church. The, the more we do that, the stronger we become. When I began running at the age of 59, it was pitiful. It was real pitiful. I couldn't even think about going out and doing a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon or a full marathon. I had to continually work towards those goals. I had to continually go out and do a little more this week than I did last week. And over a period of years, I went from hardly able to, to move to being able to complete a marathon. But I could have never done the marathon if I had not have done on a regular basis all of the little things that made it possible. And so it is in our Christian life to have power over sin. We, we do the little things which multiply into bigger things which brings more strength to our bodies. More strength to our mind. And it helps us to steer clear of sin. I, I want you and I want me to live as close to God as we can. And do you know what it is that separates us from God on any given day? Unconfessed sin in our lives. If we confess that sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us, right? That, that's Bible. But wouldn't it be even better if we didn't have to confess that sin to begin with? Wouldn't it be even better if we lived so close to Christ, served Him, served His local church, did what he wanted us to do, wouldn't it be much better if we only occasionally had to confess a sin instead of every five minutes? Oh, God, I said that. Oh, God, I thought that. Oh, God, I did that. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. How much better it would be if we exercised our power over sin so that that did not happen as often. May we live that way. May we honor Him. May we please Him. Paul is writing to believers about sin in their lives.
May we learn the lessons that he has laid out for us today. Would you stand? Maybe God has spoken to you about something. Maybe God has spoken to you about the need for salvation. Maybe God has spoken to you about the need for rededication. Maybe God has spoken to you about joining our church. Uh, Whatever God may be speaking to you about, now is the time that you would make that decision. And if God leads you to this altar to kneel and pray, by all means do so. Main thing is that you are obedient to God and what he wants you to do. Father, in the stillness of the hour, would you speak to hearts? Hearts about salvation, hearts about rededication, or even hearts about church membership. Lord, we just want you to work in all of our lives and help us to be pleasing to you. No one looking is God speaking to you about anything that you need to share here at the altar with Lord Jesus, help me to exercise power over sin. Help these dear people who are present to do likewise. And Father, I pray for those who will watch online. It'd be true for them as well. We need believers who are living in such a way that they have power over sin. If we ever want to see our world change for the good. Thank you for your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'm going to run back here and...